Hey everybody, this is So Heidi, and you're listening to the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. We all know that the fashion industry is brutally competitive and it takes loads of hard work to get ahead. The problem is that everyone's secretive and tight-lipped about their ways. After working as a designer and educator for over a decade, I wanted to help break down those barriers and bring you valuable knowledge from industry experts, and this show is exactly where you'll find that. Whether you're trying to break into the fashion world, make yourself more marketable, launch your own label, or become a successful freelancer, we'll help you get ahead in the cutthroat fashion industry. This is episode 59 of the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast, and today we have a mailbag episode, which means I answer your questions. That's right. We do these once a month, and it's a really, really fun episode for me to record. I hope you guys enjoy it just as much. I get too many emails in my inbox that I just can't answer them all, so I decided to do this. This is our third mailbag episode, and today we've got some great questions, things like, Can you get your first industry experience as a freelancer? What kind of rates should you charge when your client asks you to travel overseas? How you can take the leap from working as a contemporary designer in New York City to a luxury house in Europe? Should you feel guilty about quitting your job and leaving a brand in the middle of development when you're the only designer? And last, some advice on figuring out what the heck you want to do in the design world when you feel completely lost. Now, as always, if you have questions that you want to get answered on the podcast, email them at any time to podcast at SoHeidi.com. That's S-E-W-H-E-I-D-I.com. Again, if you have any questions on anything, if you just want some advice, whatever it is, send them in. I pick the best ones, and each month I answer them on the mailbag episode. If you want to access the show notes for today's episode, visit sfdnetwork.com slash 59 And let's dive right into the first question. So this first question comes in from Aphrodite, and she specifically asks, how could someone start as a freelancer without much industry experience? Is it really just as hard as you state it is or completely impossible? Are there any ways to start doing things that just require specific skills you could gain from studying or practicing? All right, Aphrodite, Um, I think that you can do it. I think it's a really big uphill battle. I know designers that have done it. I know designers who have started with getting some experience by doing really small projects with startup brands off of Upwork uh, or some other types of freelancing platforms. So initially, they're working with people who have no industry experience either. So they definitely have a leg up, uh, the designer, whether they're technical or creative or what have you, but they have a leg up compared to this startup or independent brand or this person who's posting something that they want done on Upwork. Now, what's going to happen in a situation like this? Well, a couple things. Right off the bat, you're going to know more than the person because they're brand new to the industry. They're trying to figure out how to do something with their fashion brand, and they really have no idea how to go about it. So you're already a step ahead of them. One of the things I do believe in in freelancing and business is that you don't always have to be an a quote-unquote expert in what you do. There's this saying, and I think you need to take it with a grain of salt, but that you only need to be a few steps ahead of your customer, all right, of the person that you're serving, of your client. Now, I say that with a couple grains of salt because I've heard a lot of people say this over and over in various industries, and I think that there is some truth to this. If you want to do tech packs and you can definitely help 
someone from start to finish do tech packs, then I think that that's fine. I don't think you need much industry experience to do that. As long as you genuinely know you're putting the tech pack together accurately, that the factory can read it, and you're providing a really good service to your customer. When you start getting into longer, bigger projects where it's things like taking someone from the initial design process through the bulk development process, doing that without any industry experience makes me a little bit nervous because there are so many things that can go wrong. There's so many variables that pop up. And yes, you can figure it out. There is a big learning curve. My concern with this is that what is the experience for your customer going to be like? If you want to be transparent with them and you say, you know, this is something I'm new at, but I'm confident I can figure it out. I know the terminology. If I have any questions come up, I will figure out the answers. I have some resources and a network to reach out to and people I can go to for help. And when you're doing something like this, I think it's really important to be completely transparent with the people or the person that you're working with so they know what they're setting themselves up for. And I say setting themselves up for in terms of things might take a little bit longer. There might be a few more mistakes and learning curves that have to happen. Uh, So I think that on some level, you can do some freelancing with smaller, more independent startups. And I, I throw everything into that category because I think it's really, really, really hard for any type of established brand to freelance and outsource to someone who has zero industry experience. Um, There's just too many things that can go wrong and too many learning curves, and, and they really want someone with experience. When you are going about this quote-unquote startup work that you may want to try starting to do some freelance projects for, I think one thing you're going to need to think about as well is the price point. Now, this is a very, very sensitive topic, and it's a very, very, uh, it's just a very sensitive subject in our industry because there's a lot of dispute, and I kind of stand up tall and I argue against this as well of, you know, working at a lower price point to gain experience versus that creating a bad cycle in our industry of designers obliging themselves to work for much lower and lowering the bar of prices for everybody in the industry. So for example, there's so many designers out there working for free or let's say really inexpensive to gain experience that it starts to dilute the marketplace when it comes to work or freelance opportunities for designers who have more experience, who can command a higher wage, they're getting turned down for work because there's all these other designers out there working for free or cheap. So here's what I say to that. I don't believe in working for free with the exception of maybe doing one small teeny project to just get your foot in the door and having very, very, very clear outlines as far as what that project, the scope of that project is going to be. I go through this more in the ultimate guide to being a freelance fashion designer in terms of when you should or shouldn't work for free. That being said, I do really genuinely think there's a time and a place to do some starter projects at, you know, lower rates to gain experience. I mean, at the end of the day, we all start somewhere. So here's the thing. If you start at a lower price point, because you're trying to gain experience, and you're transparent and honest with your client about that situation and that arrangement, then chances are you're going to take longer to get things done. Uh, So they will be saving some money, but there's also going to be more time involved, more hours at your hourly rate, and just more time overall. 
There's a time and a place where a company or a brand or a person that has their business wants to pay the right rate for someone who has all the expertise and can just get it done really fast, making sure there's no you know hiccups or mistakes or there's no learning curve. And so I think these kind of things really kind of balance themselves out. Um, so yeah, you could. You could start gaining some experience. You could start either pitching or reaching out to smaller independent brands. Um, I mentioned Upwork or, you know, People Per Hour, these various sites, because I think that's a great place for you to get started and to gain some some portfolio and resume experience doing some, some industry work. I think that that can be an abusive place to hang out. So you need to be mindful of what people you do and don't want to work with. I know a couple designers that have worked on there um, and you do have to filter out a lot of bad people. But if you're really desperate to get some experience and perhaps you live somewhere where you can't quite get it, I would say go ahead and give it a try. Be honest with the people you're working with. Charge a fair rate um, that's comfortable for you and that makes it a win-win situation for both of them, both of you. So you're getting some experience. They're working with someone less experienced. And so they're going to maybe be getting a better deal. Not maybe they're definitely going to be getting a better deal than a rate from someone who is experienced. So I think you can go about it that way. It's going to take time. You're going to weed through a lot of frustrating people. Uh, you're probably going to have some projects that go astray and you're going to, it's going to be a very good learning experience for you. You're going to learn, you know, what's it like to work with clients and hopefully gain some, some genuine industry experience. So that's where I would start. It's definitely not impossible. Um, but, but that's where I would start. And I think that in addition to that, you made some comments about studying and practicing. And I think that that's valuable to continue to do as well. But I also think that simply getting the actual experience of doing the work is where it's priceless. So if you genuinely can't get some experience, whether it be as an intern or an assistant, uh, locally where you live, then then perhaps starting to look at Upwork as an option. And I will link to in the show notes to an episode specifically about a designer who had some success on Upwork. Now she did have industry experience, but you could take everything that she said and all of her advice and apply it to your exact situation. So I hope that helps Aphrodite. Definitely keep me updated and let me know what you decide to do and how it pans out for you with your freelancing career and journey. Best of luck to you. All right, next up, we have a question from Sally. Sally says, I have been asked by one of my freelance accounts to go on factory, to go on a factory visit in Asia. I was curious if you've done this in the past and how you charge the account. Travel expenses and airfare would be covered, but I'm thinking about a daily rate as well. I'm currently paid by them hourly. I want to make sure I'm thinking of everything. Thoughts? Yeah, I do have some thoughts, Sally. I think one of the things when it comes to travel with a company excuse me, with a client that you really have to think about is what's the current project size and what is the current hourly rate? So let me give you my experience in the past. I have traveled to a trade show or traveled on site for a sales meeting. And when I do that, the client pays for all of my expenses and they also pay me a day rate. Now, these are for fairly substantial projects that are ongoing, um, that have a a monthly check attached to them. So it's like, let's say, a year-long contract with a a retainer. So every month, we get a check for the same amount. And above and beyond that, there may be three or four days of travel per year to go on site and do some meetings. And so those meetings, we do charge 
Um, but the rate is uh, how do I want to phrase this? At some point, it's like you have to look at it that that project is a year long project where there's a monthly check coming in. It's quite substantial. So there is a fee for the travel um, because no meetings were included in the initial contract. And if you don't charge that travel, then it's like they're just going to make you keep coming out or, you know, taking up all these days. And when you travel, you have to think about that is time you could be spending on another project. That is time you could be billing other clients for work. So there's also been times that I have traveled for free. Another example, um, a really, really big project of mine, the client wanted to go to Asia and visit the factories. And they were happy to go on their own. And visit the factories. They just as a business like to go on site and see each of the factories and meet the owners and have that relationship built before they put any production in that factory. Now, to me, it wasn't appropriate to let my client go and visit factories I had connected them with alone. So I made the choice to go and travel with them at my own expense. Again, it goes back to what was the size of the project. The project was substantial, and it was a great client who I had a really high trust factor and a really good relationship with. And so I took the initiative, and I said, you know what? I'm not going to charge for this. I'm going to pay for everything myself. There's no day rate. I'm paying for all my expenses because for me to maintain that relationship with the client, that was, quote, unquote, just part of doing business. Now, your situation is completely different. I don't know what the size of the project overall that you're working with the client is. I don't know what the hourly rate is. But here's how I would look at it. My first consideration is, what's the size of the project? Um, Is it a six-month project and you're doing quite a bit of work and it's a good amount of money incoming for you? That could vary what you want the rates to be, whether or not you pay, you charge for travel days or not. There's so many variables that go into this. That being said, I think charging a flat day rate while you're there is absolutely fair. So take the hourly rate that you normally work and multiply it by eight for the days that you're there that you are taken away from doing work for other clients. I think any time that you are unable to work for other clients. So let's say you're there and you're driving to factories all day and you'd spend four hours in the car getting to one factory, you visit them for two hours and you spend three hours going to another factory. Those three and four hours that you're sitting in the car, those are still billed as time that you are with that client that you can't be doing work for other clients. So it's not like you just charge for the hours that you're actually doing work. Um, I like to look at it as hours that you can't do work for other clients. So I think figuring out a day rate while you're there and then think about a travel day rate, especially since it's international. It's a really long flight. There's jet lag. You know, there's so many things that go into traveling overseas that kind of can kick you down, you know, you lose time before and after just trying to recover from a trip. So again, depending on the size of the project and the client and what your relationship is with them, I know a lot of people will charge half price for a travel day. So if you charge $100 an hour, an eight-hour day is $800, you could charge $400 a day for a travel day. Again, think about the client. If this is a really substantial project, you may not want to charge that travel day rate because there's the tone of how it is going to come off might not be very good. 
Now, if it's not a really big project, then you, you know, you kind of need to fill in and be compensated for, you know, hey, I'm only doing the small project and now you want me to do this giant trip overseas. So think about that. That's how I would approach it. Definitely do a day rate while you're there and then think about a day, uh, a half day rate for your travel days to compensate time lost that you essentially could be billing other clients for. So let me know what you decide to do. I hope that's helpful and uh, definitely keep me updated on how that works out with your client. All right, next up, we have a question from Andrea. Andrea says, do you have any advice on how a New York City designer can find work in Europe at a luxury house? I have six years of experience in advanced contemporary women's wear, and I'm looking for an exciting opportunity to make the move to Europe. All right, Andrea, um, I'm first going to say I'm not quite sure what you mean by advanced contemporary women's wear. Um, This is not a category I know a lot about, so I don't know if advanced means that's your skill or advanced means higher tier. Um, Excuse me for just not really knowing that space super well. Now, for listeners out there who are not sure about the difference between contemporary and luxury, contemporary is still not super, super cheap. You're looking at price points anywhere from, let's say, $200 to $800 as an average, whereas luxury, you may be looking on four to $5,000 for products. So I think that there is a jump between contemporary and luxury, and I think that perhaps your biggest uphill battle is going to be how do you show those luxury brands that you have the skill set and the knowledge to design into a price tier of theirs, into a price tier for their market. So to me, this takes some self-directed projects. What are some of the the luxury brands that you love? And I would say go ahead and design some assortments for them even so far as to show fabrics and trim so that you show you understand and you have the eye for a luxury brand. Because again, contemporary to luxury, it's a jump in terms of price point and perceived value from the customer and what types of materials are used down to the packaging and the presentation. Now, not necessarily you are the one that's going to be in charge of packaging and presentation, but I think it's this mindset that as a designer, you need to get yourself into. So how can you really immerse yourself in the luxury market? You know, are you going to shops in New York City that fall into this category? Are you shopping around? Are you paying attention to what's going on in the luxury market? So you understand what goes into a product of this caliber? If so, I think that's great. And I think that gives you the initiative to start putting together an assortment. Um, You know, what other brands are you watching that you could use as inspiration to design some self-directed collections to show them, you know, listen, I know I've done contemporary for six years, but I have the eye of a luxury designer and here's why. You need to visually show them why you are fit for that role. Outside of that, I think that it might be beneficial to figure out how to start creating some relationships with some some people over in the European market. And so that may be uh, people you could connect with on LinkedIn that you could, you know, start to make some friendships with that may be recruiters who work in the luxury market. You know, what type of relationships and conversations could you start to have with people in the luxury market who could help you create an opportunity for yourself? 
Besides that, there are luxury brands in New York City as well. So that's right in your backyard. How could you maybe find some connections in New York City to just have some conversations and to try to understand, you know, what is it that they really look for in a designer? Um, I think it's going to be up to you to take the initiative to do research, to try to meet some people, have some conversations. This could be done, as I said, again, just in email, uh, in LinkedIn, just as cold outreach. And it's at first, I wouldn't go about it as I'm just looking for a job. I would go about it as it, I would go about it as, you know, I would love to be able to ask you just a few questions on working in the luxury market and what that's like. It's something I'm trying to break into. Would you be up for me sending some questions or a quick coffee or a quick phone call? I would go about it first as doing some research and trying to figure out, you know, what can you learn about people who do work at luxury brands, whether they're in New York or whether they're in uh, Europe? Because that's where you've got to get your eye and your skill set and your taste level up to to show them with some sort of sample collection, self-directed collection that you put together. Plus, when you ultimately hopefully get the chance to have an interview or submit you know, an application and a resume and cover letter that you're making sure you're speaking the right language and that you're showing them you understand how their brand works. You understand how a luxury brand works. So that's where I would start. Do some research. Try to have some conversations and make some connections. Um, and from there, put yourself out there and see what you can get. I, there's nothing to be lost um, as far as making the jump from any new category to from any category to another category it's all a matter of finding those relationships educating yourself and then doing some self-directed projects to show why you're the best fit for that job so i would love to see what you decide and wind up doing with this and what pans out for you um really really good luck i I wish you the best and please do keep me updated on on what happens for you in this uh, transition. Really exciting time in your life. And I definitely say just go for it. You don't have anything to lose. Give it a shot and see what you can figure out for yourself. All right, this next question up is from Nicole. And there's a little bit of a backstory to Nicole's question. So I'm going to read that, which leads into the question. Nicole says, I'm the only designer and tech designer for a manufacturing company. I am the first and only one they have hired. The company is experiencing a ton of growing pains and my boss has been less than cordial. The company is also an hour and a half from my house, does not offer any benefits, and seems shady sometimes. There are five other design companies way closer to my house and I landed an interview, but I'm actually nervous to get the job. I'm afraid to abandon the work I have started here. I am almost finished with the development cycle I started. I'm reaching out to ask if I should feel guilty. How much do I owe this company that hasn't really treated me the best, but has given me a great career opportunity, even if the job itself has been crazy most days? If and when I find a new job, how do I rip this Band-Aid off? Well, first of all, Nicole, I think that there's a couple things you want to think about with this. One is that the fashion industry is small and you don't want to burn any bridges. You don't want to leave people high and dry. Uh, Word gets around. People talk. People know each other. That being said, you also have to know when you're in a bad situation, maybe you're not being treated well, maybe you're being taken advantage of, whatever long list of things, and you can leave that in the most polite way possible. I don't think you need to feel guilty. I don't think that you need to feel bad. 
I think you should be mindful of when is a good time to leave. Um, you know, if you can, you know, there's there's so many ways you can do this. You can say, you know, I can stay on for three more weeks and I'm happy to help transition the workload over to someone who can replace me. You know, so maybe you stay on for two weeks and kind of finish up what you're working on and then there's a week of training to help transition over to the next person. You know, in the industry, in any industry in business and the working world in general, two weeks is sort of your rule of thumb. I think depending on the relationship and depending on various circumstances, you know, some people may give four weeks to help transition and not leave a brand or a company high and dry. That being said, you also have to do what's best for you. And I think when you're in a situation that is not good for you and you've not been treated well and you you know, you feel like things are shady and and whatever long list of things, your boss has not been cordial. I'm a firm believer in, you know, doing a great job, but at some point you have to say no to this abuse and say no to people that are treating you poorly. And at the end of the day, even two weeks is a courtesy to extend. Now, I don't say you should just up and dry, up and quit and leave them high and dry tomorrow, But I think, you know, your typical two to three weeks with the offer to wrap up as much as you can uh, is totally fair. So I don't think you should feel guilty. I don't think you should even think of it as ripping a Band-Aid off. I realize that you have value in them giving you some initial industry experience and you appreciate that. But if they're not treating you well, then it's only fair for you to give them the two weeks and move on from there. Do it in the most polite and cordial way possible. Make the transition as seamless and easy for them as possible. You know, write up any documents, any instruction manuals that may need to go together, whatever it looks like. Pass it off appropriately and then step away. So, you know, doing your best to be courteous is great. But at the end of the day, I don't think you need to feel guilty. You need to do what's best for you. And if this is not a good match and they're not treating you well, then take some other opportunity. And please don't let the guilt get the best of you. I think it's something that we're all really, really good at doing. We feel bad. We, you know, we we just, we have this inherent guilt. Um, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't let yourself feel that way. I think give them a two weeks, wrap up, and move on to the next opportunity. Um do it in the most polite way possible, and I think you're going to be absolutely fine. All right, the last question today comes in from Sam. Sam says, I wondered what advice you could give me. I've always loved design. Sometimes Something about it makes my insides excited, and there is nothing else quite like that feeling. I went to school for fashion but didn't finish. I got confused halfway through as I started to really love furniture design and textiles and interior design. They all inspire me. At home, I feel like I can do it all on my own. I like working with my hands, making clothes and accessories, but I've never had too much experience outside of that. I keep working on small projects, but not finishing. I don't know if I'm afraid to fail or I need to start from the more technical side. This email is a little bit of a mess, and that's kind of what my life feels like, but I would love any feedback you could give. All right, Sam, first of all, it sounds like you're really good at starting projects and not finishing them. That's what you did with fashion school. It sounds like that's what you did with furniture and textiles and interior. And it sounds like that's what you're doing with certain projects. So I would encourage you to challenge yourself to complete something. 
whether it's in textiles or furniture or interior or fashion, out of those, what do you feel the most excited about? What do you think you could get a, an opportunity in? And and just go with that. If you fail, that's okay. Do you know how many failures I've had in my life? I have had so many. And everybody else out there listening has had so many. And you're never going to discover what is right until you discover what is wrong. So my first challenge to you is to try to finish something. So what does that mean? Does it mean going back and getting the rest of your degree in fashion and trying to create an opportunity for yourself in that industry with some internships and some assistant job roles? I don't know. Perhaps it does. Does it mean taking the experience that you already have and trying to to find an opportunity that way. I don't know what, you know, I don't know too much more about your story. I don't know where you live or, you know, what that may look like for you. Um, it sounds like you really love doing some of the the tangible work at home, working with your hands and, and making clothes, you mentioned. Um, so maybe there's a small brand nearby that does local production or a factory nearby where you could go get some hands-on work you know, behind the scenes. I don't know what this may look like, but what are the things that you really love doing right now that you could go out and get some hands-on experience in? And maybe that's design. Maybe that's manufacturing, actual, you know, physically cutting and sewing and, and working in a factory, which I think is an amazing experience and something that I would love to do uh, or would have loved to have gotten started doing I don't know if you know how many factories out there in the States. I'm not even sure if you're in the States, but how many factories out there are really low on labor? It is very, very hard for them to find labor. Um, There's a couple of podcast episodes that I'll link to, one with Kathleen Fasanella, one with Catherine Hildebrand from Good Clothing Company. Uh, They both have factories. One's in New Mexico. One is in the greater Boston area in Massachusetts. And they talk all about how they cannot find people who can do the labor. So maybe there's something to be said about getting some experience that way. I think you could get exposed to all sorts of the process. Um, If you really love working with your hands, I think that would be a great way to go about it. Alternatively, you know, what are these small projects that you're not finishing? Um, I don't know if these are actual cut and sew projects or, you know, designing small collections or what that looks like. But I think you really need to challenge yourself to figure out how can you get that first real life experience outside of the comfort of your own home. And you may need to do some further education to figure out how to get there. But commit to that. Commit to it. Commit to finishing it. And then get that experience and and create that opportunity for yourself find that opportunity to to get that industry exposure and go from there you can always change nothing is ever set in stone but if you never finish things you're never going to figure out what you really love and at the same time what you don't love my dad used to always tell me growing up if I did something and I didn't like it and he goes well there you go that's you learned something you learned that you don't like that you know I remember when I had jobs in college and high school and I was like oh man I hate work I worked retail I worked at Nordstrom's and I hated it Um, and I did it it was fine but he goes you know what you know now that's not something you want to do so finding something you don't want to do is just as good as finding something you you do want to do 
So just take it with trying to finish something, trying to get some experience, and discovering a little more about yourself and your true calling. I'm a big believer in that you may never know, you know, what's at the what's on the next mountain that you're going to climb, but you have to climb that first little mountain to get to the next peak and then that next little mountain to get to the next peak. And you may never know what's at the top of the biggest peak, you know, when you're going to find that true thing, that that amazing experience, the thing that you just love in life to do. You never know when you're going to discover that, but you're never going to discover that if you don't get started with climbing to the top of some of these smaller mountains. So what's that first mountain that you could get to the top of? I don't know. Based on your email, it's very hard for me to tell, but I would inspire you to get started with that and see where it takes you. So Sam, I would love to get a follow-up from you specifically. I want you to let me know in the next couple weeks what you decide to do, what route you decide to tackle, what you decide to finish, and what your plans are to take it from here to figure out what you want to do with your creative design eye and your love for working with your hands and making things. All right, you guys, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. I really appreciate each and every one of you out there listening. As always, if you have questions in this episode, visit the show notes at sfdnetwork.com slash 56. Thank you so much, and I will talk to you in the next Successful Fashion Designer Podcast episode.